0: Welcome to The Upward Journey, the weekly podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship, located in Flat Rock, North Carolina. In this series, we take a look at the various proofs surrounding the burial and resurrection of Jesus. Discover what it means to have questions and even healthy skepticism as long as you are willing to explore the evidence. Join us now for The Upward Journey. Today we're going to look at the evidence as we do part two of our message in this series concerning the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, some may ask, why is this so important? This is essential to our relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you know some things are essential in a relationship? Some things are essential in your marriage relationship. I was riding yesterday in the car with my wife And she found this recipe on her phone And she said, oh, this sounds good She said, listen to this Zucchini lentil pasta Mm mmm, good And I looked over at her and said Who are you? And how did I wind up with you? Zucchini lentil pasta. I sort of like the word pasta, but the zucchini lentil makes me even worry about the pasta. But I pretty quickly determined that was not essential to us staying married, okay? Some things, though, are essential to a relationship, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the essentials to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote about it in 1st Corinthians 15 and he said he listed seven things that are not true if the resurrection of Christ is not true Paul said number one if the resurrection didn't happen then our preaching is useless if the resurrection didn't happen our faith is useless if the resurrection is not a historical event all apostles are liars we are still guilty of our sins those who died in sin are still lost. He said if the resurrection didn't happen, our hope is only in this world alone. We have no hope of life after death. He said if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, we are to be pitied more than any man. It's essential. heard a pastor put it this way. He said, If you're a skeptic, and you may be here as a skeptic We've invited skeptics to listen to this message And examine the real solid evidence that points to a genuine resurrection of Christ But if you're a skeptic and you don't believe in the resurrection I'd like to submit to you that even if you can't believe in the resurrection You ought to want it to be true Because if the resurrection's not true, there's no hope If the resurrection's not true, there's no meaning to this life. We just live, we die, and that's it. You know, if you believe in social justice, you should want the resurrection of Christ to be true. Because the only justice that will come is if Jesus rose from the dead. I talked to a young lady recently, and she said, I want to dedicate my life to ending human trafficking in the sex trade industry. If you want to live for a cause like that, to do good in this world and see justice in this world, you ought to hope and want the resurrection of Christ to be true. Because if He really rose from the dead, there is hope beyond anything. If He ever rose from the dead, truly did, there is never a hopeless situation. I want it to be true. 1 Corinthians 15, let's go back to our scripture that anchors this whole series. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Today, we're going to examine the eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Christ. Last week, we talked about how the tomb was empty. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that hundreds of witnesses testified to the fact that they saw Jesus Christ alive after he came out of the tomb. Did you know that a reliable eyewitness is one of the most compelling pieces of evidence in court? If you have a reliable, competent witness who can say, I literally saw this happen, a court case can change with just one reliable witness. Today I want to talk about three factors that gives the eyewitness testimony such credibility and makes their witness so compelling. Number one is the actual number of witnesses. Now, I said just a moment ago that one witness can change a verdict. One reliable eyewitness is very compelling evidence. Some people think, okay, there were 12 apostles that witnessed the uh, the resurrection and And maybe a few more people actually witnessed it. You know the Bible says there were over 500 individual witnesses that saw Jesus alive after he died. 500 people testified to seeing him. In one occasion, 500 in one place on one occasion saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. That is powerful testimony. If we were to take all 500 in a court and say, we're going to give you five minutes each to tell your story of how you saw Jesus alive after his death, it would take 41 hours, almost two solid days, for all the witnesses to the resurrection to just have five minutes. How many of you think that's pretty compelling? Over two days, nearly two days of testimony from 500 people. It's also very powerful that they saw him at the same time. There's a theory out there called the hallucination theory. And this theory states that the resurrection was just a hallucination. That the disciples, maybe they were on something. I've known people that were on something that had a a genuine hallucination and it was very real to them. They thought they were really seeing somebody or something. So a hallucination can be real. Understand that. The theory is that the disciples, one by one, just had these visions of Jesus. Maybe they were just so grieved that they just saw Jesus appear in the room because they wanted it to happen so bad that somehow it happened to them. Uh, how many of you, let's, let's just imagine that there was a guy who came to the sheriff's department in Henderson County today and said, uh, one guy who said, I, I saw a unicorn running down upward road and y'all need to go catch it. How many of you think that the deputies would be dispatched out here to go after that unicorn? I think more likely what would happen would this person, this single witness, would likely be put in a hospital before the day was up. Because nobody's going to believe one guy saw a unicorn running down Upward Road. But let's just say we could do this. Let's just say every one of us in this room agreed to go together right after church. Now, don't do this, please. Uh, But... Let's say all of us in this room agreed to go together down to the sheriff's department and tell them that at one time all of us together saw a unicorn running down Upward Road. They wouldn't put us in the hospital. In fact, that would be on the national news by tonight. Why? Because 500 people saw it at the same time. That lends tremendous credibility to the testimony. You see, it's impossible to imagine 500 people having the same hallucination at the same time in the same place. So you've got a huge number of people. You've got a huge number of people who saw him at the same time. Very powerful testimony. Very powerful eyewitness evidence. So the number of witnesses is compelling. Another thing very compelling about the eyewitness testimony is the identity of the witnesses. They are named. They don't just say a group of people saw him. We have Mary Magdalene. We have the 12 apostles. We have two disciples that were not apostles walking down a road to Emmaus. One of them is named. The the Bible specifically calls out these people. And Paul said this, 500 people, most of whom are still alive. We know they're not alive today. Paul's saying at the time of this writing, these people are still with us. Have you ever wondered why sometimes names are given specifically? There's an account in the uh, crucifixion in the scriptures when it talks about the crucifixion that Jesus needed help carrying his cross. You remember that? If you've read it, you'll remember that as Jesus carried his cross, a man was called alongside Jesus to pick up his cross. Do you know one of the gospel writers names those guy, that guy's sons? His, their names are Alexander and Rufus. You ever wonder, did this guy just like these boys and wanted to get their names in the Bible? Why are they named? You know why they're named? Because they were still alive when the book was written. They were known by people in the early church. And the author was lending credibility to his statement by saying, if you don't believe this, go ask them. Are you with me? You ever have to write a paper for school? I'm still in school still in school. They won't let me out of school. They think I've got a lot more to learn. I'm still writing papers. One of the things I hate about writing a paper is to format it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Get the formats right. We have to write ours in Turabian. It's a pain. And all the other ways are a pain. I hate all that. I'd just rather write and somebody else do that for me. Many scholars believe that listing the names of the witnesses are like footnotes in a paper where you can go check up on the story to see if it's really true. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, there are 500 people that are seeing him that saw him. Most of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, go ask them, and they will tell you what they saw. These witnesses are identified. They're named. Another powerful uh, part of the identity of these witnesses are who they are especially the first ones. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, and the Gospels are basically biographies of Jesus Christ. They tell the life story of Jesus Christ. Four different uh, men wrote these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, some people... Uh, accuse them of sitting down that some people that are skeptical about the Bible say, well, all these guys just sat down together and they they all wrote from the same document and they got their stories all lined up so it would all match and so it would be believable, but nothing could be further from the truth. Different ones of them tell different parts of the story. Some of them leave things out altogether. Some of them include details that the other one left out. But there's one thing that's very powerful that all four of them recorded. In all four biographies of Jesus Christ, the first people to see Jesus risen from the dead were women. That's very powerful. Right? Because women never lie. I don't know why I just said that. That got me in all kinds of hot water. What makes it so powerful is this. If five women saw a man committing a crime in the day that these books were written, in the day, the historical context that Jesus was raised from the dead in, if five women saw a man committing a crime, that man could not be convicted because a woman's testimony was not admissible in court. The only way a person could be convicted of a crime on eyewitness testimony was if a man had seen it happen. One man's testimony was worth more than a hundred women. I'm trying my best to make you mad so you'll... That upset anybody? Women were degraded in that day. Some people say the Bible is a book that degrades women. The Bible was absolutely groundbreaking ahead of its time in the treatment of women when it said husbands love your wives as Christ has loved the church. That shook that whole culture up. But hear me. Think about this. If women's testimony was not even if a woman's testimony was not admissible in court, don't you think the authors of the Gospels had some pressure on them to leave that part out? Don't you, don't you imagine somebody came along and said, if you really want to make this story stick, then leave that part out about the women. Let me put it this way. If you were going to make up this story, as many people suggest these authors did, if someone was going to make up a story of Jesus rising from the dead, they wouldn't put that in there. Why do I believe that this lends so much credibility? Why, why do I think that the authors wrote that women were the first witnesses to the resurrection? Because they actually were. Because these writers were simply writing it as it happened And as they saw it, as they experienced it They weren't, worthy, uh, weren't worried about embellishing the story and Making it believable They simply told what happened That is the only explanation for an author in that day Making women the first witnesses Compelling evidence The number of witnesses The identity of these witnesses. Another thing you have a hard time dealing with, and sometimes skeptics put all the burden of proof on the Christian. They say, you have to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. You've got to show me evidence. I'm telling you, there's so much evidence for Jesus' resurrection that skeptics, you have a burden of proof to prove how some of this stuff, how there could be 500 people witnessing to it. How there could be an undisputed empty tomb. Where is his body? Why was there never a shrine made on his grave? There's a burden of proof on you to prove that it's not true. Eyewitness testimony. The number of witnesses, the identity of the witnesses. One of the things that's, that's the most compelling about the eyewitness testimony is the transformation that took place in the lives of the witnesses. It's hard to explain that away. Did you know that Jesus had earthly brothers and sisters? Joseph and Mary, before they were married, uh, married Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. God planted jesus christ in her womb and he was born and she was a virgin they had never been intimate with each other after jesus was born the oldest child uh, joseph and mary had a very normal family life and they had many children the bible uh, lists them out jesus had earthly brothers and sisters can you imagine having jesus for an older brother how many of you have struggled in your life with having an older sibling that was just perfect my younger sister has struggled with this her whole life. It's been a real battle for her. She's right here. You can ask her after church and validate that. She may not tell the same story. Can you seriously, can you imagine Jesus is your older brother? Why can't you be more like your older brother? Well, mom, he's the Messiah. You haven't raised anybody from the dead this week. What about your older brother? Well, Mom, he's God. That's a lot to live up to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The problem with that story is they didn't believe he was the Messiah. The problem with that story is they didn't believe he was God. There is not one piece of historical or biblical evidence that suggests that any of Jesus' brothers and sisters believed in him during his earthly ministry. They thought he was crazy. They were embarrassed by him. Even his parents struggled to understand who he really was. We get one little glimpse into his life when he was 12 years old. And you get the sense that even his parents were having a hard time getting their minds around the fact that that boy was the Messiah, the Son of God. His brothers and sisters totally discounted it. They were upset with him. In fact, there's two verses, there's more, but I'm going to share two with you. John 7, 4, and 5, his brothers are talking to Jesus. And listen what they said. You can hear the sarcasm in this verse. They said, you can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Do, do, you, do you hear the sarcasm? If you're so good, why don't you just get out there and get out of this house and show them what you can do? Verse 5 said, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Categorically, specifically said his brothers did not believe in him. Mark 3.21, another passage says, When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. There's a big stir. People are coming around. They're recognizing. The family tried to get him out of there because they said he's out of his mind. His brothers thought he was insane. They tried to hide him. This perfect child had now become the bad one in the family. The one everybody, the crazy one everybody's embarrassed of. Do you know in your family who the crazy one is that everybody's embarrassed of? If you don't know who it is, I'm not going to finish that. The crazy man in the family, and for all his ministry, they rejected him. Imagine how Jesus felt about that. For all his earthly ministry, hear this they weren't even there when he was crucified. They were gone. Why? Jesus from the cross looked down, and it's very powerful that his mother was there. Imagine how difficult that was for her to watch that, but she stayed by his side. His mother was there, and Jesus spoke to her from the cross. There's only one other disciple that was there, and it was John. Jesus had a very close relationship with John, and John stayed by him, the only one. The rest of them scattered. Jesus looked down from the cross at John, and John must have been standing near Mary, and he said, John, behold your mother. Then he said to Mary, woman, behold your son. You know what's going on there? Jesus is telling John to take care of his mother, and he's telling Mary to look to John as her son to provide for her. Why? Because his brothers weren't there. They rejected him. They rejected his ministry, and they weren't there when he hung and bled and died on that cross but something happened get past the cross get past the resurrection and get to the place when the early church is just forming in acts chapter one now remember before the cross nobody's there all his ministry they ridicule him at the cross they're not there get past the empty tomb And look in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 describes the events right after Jesus ascended into heaven. He resurrected. He went to heaven. And it said this, the believers were meeting together praying. And they were praying, Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem and wait for a powerful promise. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then go out and minister. So all the believers are there waiting together and praying. And it says, they met together, were constantly united in prayer, along with whom? Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Something happened that changed his brother's mind about who he was. Because all of a sudden, the brothers who had ridiculed him his whole life were now worshipping him. That's a huge deal. For a group of Jews to immediately start worshipping a man is a huge deal. But for a brother who ridiculed and despised his older brother all his life and rejected his miracles, rejected him raising somebody from the dead, rejecting him when he was hung on a cross, something big had to happen for that brother and the rest of them to now be worshiping him. And I want to submit to you today that I believe the big thing that happened is they saw him alive after he died. They saw the resurrection, and it was undeniable. You say, Pastor, how is it possible that 500 people saw Him alive at one time? How is it possible 500 people testify that Jesus is alive because they saw Him? How is it possible that living people were still around, and the early church was still there, and people testified... That they saw Him because they really saw Him. Amen. How is it possible? How is it possible that women are listed as the first witnesses of the resurrection in all four gospels? Because they really saw Him. How is it possible that His brothers and His sisters who rejected Him their whole lives after the resurrection... Worshipped him as Lord because they saw him. How's it possible that a life can be changed today by saying yes to Jesus Christ because they saw him and he is alive? 500 eyewitnesses, named women, family skeptics all said he is alive 1 John 1 John writes this he said we're testifying to you what we have seen and touched and experienced personally we have seen him I want to tell you today your life can be changed because they saw him And he's alive. Would you bow with me for prayer? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship, you can look up our website at www.ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. Join us next week for the Upward Journey.